Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. To Kill a Mockingbird, Chapter 1. There's quite a lot in this chapter and I think the first place to start is really looking at the context um, particularly to do with American history that help us really understand the things that are revealed in chapter one about the world of the novel and the location, the setting of the story, um, and also the main themes and ideas and concepts that are going to become really important as the story progresses. The whole novel is narrated by Scout um, and there's this mixture throughout the novel of the child's perspective as a child and then uh, glimpses of the adult scout looking back with hindsight on events that occurred when she was I don't know between the age of nine and um, nine and eleven and so it's interesting when often certain pieces of information are given to us um to piece together ourselves because as a child scout doesn't have the ability to um, process them but then equally the concerns and the themes of the novel are being identified so looking at the um the context and the history of america um in chapter one we have this very brief potted history of the finch family um which goes back to the kind of methodists emigrating um from england coming over to america for the for a new life um free from persecution and um we have this character simon finch who buys three slaves and establishes a homestead um there's definitely an irony here in that um homesteads were meant to be independent self-sufficient areas of land that people could um farm without any use of slavery um but in the south in america there's this pattern of slavery that's very much embedded and so this um little throwaway comment about him buying three slaves is just a reference to the fact that um white supremacy slavery um is is really embedded in this area geographically um so he's on the banks of the alabama river and then there's an, an allusion to the Civil War, the American Civil War, when um, it talks about Simon's, uh, Simon would have regarded with impotent fury the disturbance between the North and South, um, because, of course, that resulted in huge losses for um, the people of the South. Um, they had their land, but obviously slavery was meant to be abolished um they very much didn't like all of these changes that were being enforced upon them but really it was very difficult for any government to really enforce these new laws and even though slavery became illegal what essentially happened was that black people were treated as uh, second-class citizens with hardly any of the rights that had been fought for and so you've got this situation where on paper Black people in the southern states are supposed to be, um, you know, equal to white people um, in their rights. But in practice, segregation is very much ingrained in the way that 
everything is run. Now we get this description of Maycomb as an old town and a tired old town um, and the courthouse sagged in the square and people moved slowly. And I think this is meant to establish that these old values are very much entrenched. These old values that were there right from the beginning of the colonization of the southern states of America. Um, these values of white supremacy, um, the fact that black people were enslaved or second class citizens. Um, these things are going to be hard to shift. And even though the novel is set in the 1930s, which is obviously well after the abolition of slavery, there's still these ingrained attitudes which are going to prove almost impossible to overcome. And the novel is really going to be about that battle, particularly that Atticus faces of these ingrained attitudes against truth and justice. So we know that Maycomb is not going to be a town where these um, where these ideas are held. And the image of the courthouse sagging does allude to this lack of justice as well. Um, we know that Calpurnia is um, the Finch's cook and essentially like a living nanny. Um, well, she doesn't live with them, but she's there so much of the day that it's, like, it's as if she does. Um, and again, this is the sorts of jobs that black people were given um, is as nannies, nursemaids, cooks, um, if they were women, um, black labourers. And we can see this clear social division that's going to become more important later in the novel, and um, particularly when Aunt Alexandra comes to stay as well. Then we get a break from this whole historical narrative and then a bit of information about the, um, the Finch family. And we are introduced to the character of Dill. And I love the way that Dill is described. Um, I'm Charles Baker Harris. I can read. Um, and... It's, it's this kind of bravado front of he's desperate to impress, um, Jem and Scout and make friends, um, and the sort of sad reality that he's this little boy who's sort of been sent away by his parents, um, becomes more apparent as the novel goes on. So we have a lot of comedy in Dill's character, in the things that he says. He's very self-confident, um, he's always out to impress. Um, but there is a kind of underlying message in that Dill comes into their lives as an outsider figure. You know, he's not from Maycomb, he's not from the area. And the fact that he doesn't have a father would have meant that in the society he lived in, he would have been looked down on. Um, and I love the way that Jem accepts him and tells Scout to accept him too. Um, so Dill it describes... Dracula, um, a, a link to the Gothic there, which is going to become more important later in the chapter. Um, and when Scout sort of presses him about his father, is he dead? No. Then if he's not dead, you've got one, haven't you? Um, Jem tells her to hush. Um, and in that action sort of prefigures that the central lesson of empathy in the novel that Atticus is going to be trying to teach, teach them. Um, I love the detail of Dill's mother entering his photograph in a beautiful child contest, winning $5, giving him the money, and then he went to the picture show 20 times. This kind of really dysfunctional child loneliness of a parent who 
you know, likes the obsession, like obsesses over the appearance and likes to have a beautiful child and the label and the veneer, but there's no real relationship there. Now, after our introduction to Dill, we are introduced to another outsider figure, but this one is not so easily accepted. This is the character of Arthur or Boo Radley. Now, we are given this um, description of him and it's almost impossible to decipher what is true and what is just rumours and superstition. Um, It says inside the house lived a malevolent phantom. And so Boo has this mystique about him, this this sort of role of being the ultimate outsider figure. No one ever sees him. He's sort of been locked away in this house. And so he's become a kind of ghost-like figure that everybody makes up stories about. Um, linking in with the reference to Dracula, it brings this whole idea of the gothic in, this kind of, these kind of sequences of superstition and fear. And as a genre, the gothic is all about outsiders. It's all about, um, the taboo and people we cr- make into monsters, um, essentially because we don't want to confront the monstrous nature in ourselves. And that's gonna again become a key theme in the novel that in society, we like to label outsiders and we like to project onto them all of the rubbish that's actually underneath our own respectability. So all of our own um, small mindedness and fear and judgmentalism, we project onto these monster figures and we create monsters. So what we learn about um, Arthur and Arthur Radley's past is that he has committed a massive social transgression. So that when he was younger, he got in with the wrong crowd. He um, was going around the square in a borrowed fliver and resisted arrest by Maycomb's ancient beadle, Mr. Connor. And with some of the boys locked this man in the courthouse outhouse. And then, of course, this man uh, demanded justice. And as a result, it says Mr. Radley's boy was not seen again for 15 years. So there's a sense in which... Um, Arthur's being punished by his father by becoming a virtual prisoner in his own home. Um, he avoids being sent away to industrial school um, and just his dad, who's a proud man anyway, um, and very religiously upright, um, locks him away. So it's important to see that Boo is very much um, a vehicle for... Um, Harper Lee to show us the prejudice that exists in Maycomb. You know, once you make a mistake, that's it. You are a social outcast. Um, and really, Boo is a centre point in the novel um, for Jem, Scout and Dill's inquisitive nature and their exploration of the world around them. Um, but ultimately, Boo is the vehicle through which Scout learns empathy and that's going to be the central lesson in the novel that we have to put ourselves in another man's shoes um in a kind of plot device way boo radley creates a lot of tension in these um, early chapters because before the main story has really taken off the trial of tom robinson the actual tension and, and drama is Uh, are they going to be successful to get Boo Radley appear and um, all their various means of trying to find out more about him. Uh, Boo Radley's really key to showing Scout's journey from the beginning of the novel where she participates in this kind of teasing of him and um, playing upon 
these superstitions about him without really seeing him as a real person. So we've got um, a number of other things in this chapter that we learn. We've got this um, Stephanie Crawford, the kind of gossipy character who tells us about um, Boo driving scissors into his parents' leg, uh, him being locked up in the courthouse basement for a time, um, and then Mr. Radley dying and everyone thinking Boo is going to appear. But then Boo's elder brother returns from uh, Pensacola and takes Mr. Radley's place. So there's this cycle of, of of oppression where as soon as his father dies, his older brother comes back and essentially just carries on doing the same thing. Now, it's it's interesting that um, Jem says, oh, maybe Mr. Radley's kept him chained to the bed. Um, but Atticus says this. He says, no, it wasn't that sort of thing. There were other ways of making people into ghosts. In other words, you know, by fear, by uh, reinforcing the fact that someone's an outcast, you keep them that way and you um, you basically keep them imprisoned. So there's a real challenge in this first chapter to the central idea of American freedom and democracy. The kind of two core values, I think, of America with the Declaration of Independence and everything else is freedom and democracy. Um, and so already Harper Lee is showing you examples of where that fails, of where this freedom and democracy isn't enjoyed by everyone. And we can't convince ourselves that it is. Um, you've got the interesting um, dare at the end of the chapter, in which case um, Jem thinks about potentially um, striking a match like he would under a turtle to make the turtle run out. Um, and it's interesting that Dill says striking a match under a turtle is hateful. Interesting that Dill has that kind of empathy with the outsider figure, given that he's an outsider himself. Uh, Jem says it, it ain't hateful, just persuades him. And Dill says, how do you know a match don't hurt him? And Jem says, turtles can't feel stupid. And I think that comment, that throwaway comment, is really indicative of the dismissive nature of people towards the outsider figures. They don't even recognise that they have feelings too. And that lack of empathy is what drives most of the injustice in the novel. The chapter ends with the sentence um, that there's a tiny movement of a shutter, a tiny, almost invisible movement, and the house was still which is going to link in as the novel has a circular structure right at the end when Scout realises that Boo has been a sort of silent observer of many of the things that have occurred in the novel um, behind the shutters. So the shutters become a symbol of imprisonment, a symbol of being separated from society, but also that sort of quiet observation. And a big sort of triumph in the novel is um, bringing Boo out from behind the shutters so that Scout actually develops that empathy. And when she stands behind the shutters at the end of the novel, that's the big moment for Scout where she learns to see the world through Boo's eyes. If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Teach Me Lit. I'm always open to requests, so if you want me to talk about a text you're studying, get in touch. Thank you for listening. See you next time on the Teach Me Lit podcast.